A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, my friend. How are you? I hope you are feeling well. Um, this Christmas Eve Eve, if you're listening on the Friday, maybe Christmas has already happened when you're listening. Whenever you're listening, I hope you are well. If you're not, that's okay too. Um, I, for one, have found the Christmas approach not great this year. I don't know, just like... I don't know if it's the timing of it. Is it the fact that Christmas is on a Sunday? Is it that we're coming off the back of COVID Christmases? Is it that like, I just feel like work is never going to end? I don't know. There's something this year. Maybe it's that it's been a tough year for my family. Like who knows? But I'm struggling to get into the spirit. And based on conversations I've been having with people around the place recently, I feel like I'm not the only one. So if you're feeling that way too, you are not alone. Um, Don't worry about it. At the end of the day, it's a day and life will go on January will come and we'll all be back to normal soon but if you are someone who loves Christmas and who's very much feeling it then I hope you savor every moment of it um and I hope you really enjoy it I'm a little bit jealous of you truth be told um we have got an episode next week just in case you were wondering about the 30th um there is an episode coming it's not a normal episode because obviously I don't want my contributors to have to you know work over this week and I don't want it either um so it's basically an extended version of what myself and Aoife do every week except um covering more stories um from across the year so we had great crack it's already recorded and we had great crack recording it so I think you'll enjoy it so that'll be out next Friday as always because I always hate that like you know, I need my podcast friends, maybe most of all at that time when maybe you might be feeling a little bit family out of it or whatever, and you need a little break, might not want to go for a walk with your podcast pals. That's, you know, so I want to provide that for you if that's what you want. And so that'll be coming next week. There's not much else to say, really, except for the fact that I think you'll enjoy today's episode. Uh, We have news, as always, and later on, I'm going to talk to Rory Hearn, who is a housing expert and the author of Gaffs, Why No One Can Get a House and What We Can Do About It. Um, I just felt like we have talked about housing so much on this podcast and the way that it's the crisis is really stretching its hideous tentacles into so many areas of people's lives. Um, I thought it might be good to talk to someone about what some potential solutions are so that maybe we can finish things on a slightly more optimistic note. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later on. And then myself and Eva, or Emer McLeisett absolutely went off in the entertainment slot this week because there were so many things to talk about from... Paul and Phoebe to the whole Nepo babies conversation. Um, so that segment is actually a little bit longer than it normally is because I we simply could not stop. And I wouldn't want to deprive you of that conversation. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it and start with the news. Aoife Moore, a political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland. How are you? It's Christmas. 
Christmas. It's nearly Christmas. It's nearly Christmas. I might die before we get there. Yeah, you have kids. I'm just hungover all the time. I am just... And I don't want to be a Grinch, but I'm so tired of it already. I think all mommies are tired. Well, apart from my mommy, who, like, loves her best life. We don't live in the house anymore. But I think, like, all mommies at Christmas are pretty stressed. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's a hard time for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I am so happy that you're here and I'm so happy that we're able to both do an episode this week, even though everybody's winding down for Christmas. And next week, myself and Aoife are recording a bumper episode of Louise and Aoife, a Louise and Aoife Bonanza, if you will, where we're going to talk about some of the kind of big stuff that happened over the course of the last year. Now, I will say it won't be comprehensive. Like we're not going to no, no. talk about everything. It'll be a bit of it'll be ranty for sure. <laughs> Yes, and probably lots of wheezing, laughing. And so that's that means that episode will come out on the 30th. Uh, so if at that stage you are tired of your family, um, which I know I will be, um, you could take yourself out for a little walk with Go it maybe. Yeah. Anywho, let's talk about this week's news. Um, I, I didn't think there would be much, but there actually is a lot yeah, to talk about. Yeah, it's actually about. been the busiest last week of government I've I can remember. Well, of course, because there was the changeover of the Taoiseach, which at this point sounds like the changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. It, basically what it is, yeah. right? So, yeah, thanks a lot. I had to work last Saturday. Um, last <laughs> Saturday, um, as planned and agreed in June 2020, Leo Varadkar be- once again became the Taoiseach and Michal Martin uh, became the Tanisha and took up the role of Minister of Foreign Affairs and Defence. Mm. Um, that's all Simon Coveney, the former Minister of Foreign Affairs, who I have to say, big fan of, great Brexit minister, <laughs> went straight into Leo Varadkar's old department in the Department of Enterprise, a department he has not held before. He has already held housing and agriculture and mm. foreign affairs. Um, minister McGrath, who was public expenditure, is now finance uh-huh. and Minister for Finance is now public expenditure, Pascal Donoghue. Um... Simon Harris, who was Minister for Health at one point, I see where I'm going with this, who was Minister for Health at one point, then was uh, higher education, has now taken over Helen McEntee's department and Department of Justice while she's on maternity leave. And everyone else has stayed in the same job. Okay. The point I had made was, in my column in the Sunday Times, is that we are at record-breaking crisis. Yeah. Record-breaking crisis in health and in housing. Mm-hmm. We're in a social catastrophe. And there has not been one new face mm. brought to the cabinet table. There had been lots of rumours that Jack Chambers, the youngest person oh. in the cabinet, he's 32, was going to be moved into health. But Michal Martin decided that Stephen Donnelly was doing a good job and kept him in health. Okay, and I know you can't say anything, so I'm not even looking at you while I say this, but I can't say, I don't think I would want... 32 year old I'm literally looking away from her because I don't want to put her in an awkward position but you who's listening I'm just going to say to you I would not want 32 year old Jack Chambers in that position and as much as I may not love Stephen Donnelly you get what I'm pouring um (laughs) the the only the other new face is um (laughs) Rasa Fanning who is now the Attorney General, which most people don't care about. The Attorney General doesn't pay this outside role in Irish society. But he is known for his flamboyant um, showmanship in court. Mm. Um, but of a character. So Great. I actually, actually look out for her. I hope he does a good speech some, somewhere at some point. Yeah. Um, Remind then, me again, like, how does the election thing work? Like, when would we have one? Uh, the latest it can be is 2025. Okay, we're still ages away. Pretty long. And so why would one happen in the interim? They could, 
the public will turn against them or the government can start falling apart from the inside out. Okay, but the public could turn against them. What does what what form does that take? It means that uh, a lot of protests, a lot of unrest, and yeah. people within the government then start falling away and saying, "I don't want to be part of this government yeah. anymore." Then there'll be emotional no confidence. Mm. So the last election we had, February twenty twenty, yeah. was because there was a no confidence motion yeah, yeah, in Simon Harris that. as the minister for health. Yeah, and the government didn't think they could weather it, so yeah. they just called an election. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, interesting. I personally, I don't want to like make you personally disappointed, but I really feel like this government is going to go the distance because Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens really don't want an election anytime soon. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, they are trying to prevent the inevitable. Mm. I think they know they are going to have a really hard time. I think they know that they can't catch Sinn Féin. Now, Sinn Féin are going down on the polls yeah. the last couple of weeks, but not enough for them. Yeah. So I think this might go the distance. Yeah, mm, I I don't know. I, uh, later on in this podcast, I've already recorded the interview. That's why I know. Um, <laughs> you'll hear me talking to Rory Hearn, oh, who Rory. is um, yeah an expert in housing. And basically because I've been here with Aoife banging my head against the wall every week about housing and the way that it's impacting everyone's lives and it's impacting every area of people's lives. Um, I thought it might be good to talk to an expert and, and kind of get an idea of where we came from and where we're going. And, you know, we re- I think... If they want to stay where they are, they've got to make actual changes when it comes to housing. Yeah, Leo Rager did say changes. in his first speech as Taoiseach Volume 2 that, um, you know, they <laughs> will, that, that they would pull every lever in order to tackle housing. But if housing for all is still the plan and the government themselves are acknowledging that housing for all isn't working fast enough, quote yeah. unquote, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll hear more about what what Rory thinks that they should do and what Rory thinks would actually make a difference later on in the podcast. Also, surprisingly handsome. Who? Rory. Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> sure. This is Aoife, objectifying them. <laughs> um, okay. Now, let's talk about Elon Musk because we have talked about him repeatedly on the podcast and I just, you know. Why is he the third character in this segment all the time? I know, but it's because it's fun to watch him be so bad. I mean, it's I, it's fun to, in a way, it's obviously terrible. His impact is appalling. But like, I do, this is a cell phone and I enjoy it. Okay, so the world's saddest and most insecure uh, billionaire who bought a criticism factory had a Twitter poll the other day asking people um, should he resign as CEO of Twitter and he lost the poll. So people voted that he should leave Twitter because it had been such a shambles since he mm-hmm. took over. He then tweeted and said, I will resign as CEO as soon as I can find someone foolish enough to take the job. After that, I will just run the software and, and servers teams. Um, so Elon Musk also owns Tesla and they have lost about 60% of their value since Musk made the offer to buy Twitter so not only is he tanking one company that he owns he's actually tanking his original company as well it's wild so the people with around Musk are saying that he's too distracted to run the electric vehicle company as well and that's why they're going tits up too mm. and this is this is when round and round circles, everything that he tries to do at Twitter, because the thing is, Twitter doesn't make any money. No. It's really hard to make money out of Twitter. And it's always been like that. Yeah, always. So it's not like this is Elon Musk's yeah. fault. Yeah. But he said that he was going to put them back in the black to be able to make money. During the week, he suspended a number of journalists. This so-called lover of free speech, just call it what it is. You like, like, you like laughing at racist jokes. That's all yeah. it is. He doesn't care about free speech because if he did, he suspended a number of journalists and couldn't. Carrie Hartthrob, don't he? 
Mm. Don't I was also suspended. I think he Don't was I, suspended. Don't I was suspended from Twitter. Yeah, I actually think he was one of the last ones to get his Twitter back. That is bonkers. Yeah, because obviously he works at CNN. He does this information, covers this information, covers the internet basically, and he was suspended. A load. I think there was maybe twenty out of them. Um. So obviously, organizations, human rights groups condemned it mm. all over the world. Um, Wall Street calls for step, for us to step down have been growing for weeks, and recently even Tesla te- Tesla have questioned his focus on social media. Yeah, I, I saw someone tweet yesterday. They were like, "I think it's hilarious that Elon Musk like won't reply to Tesla shareholders, you know, in his re- in his Twitter replies." But like, if you've got seven followers, but you tweet that you think he's cool, he'll be like straight on to you. <laughs> or like people who um. Don't even tag him, but just tweet like Elon Musk is a fucking dose. Keep getting her Twitter suspended. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. How does he have the time for this? He doesn't is the answer. That's well, why he's he failing. Is. The best tweet was world's most insecure billionaire buys a criticism factory. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the best. Um, okay, let's talk about the World Cup because we're so good at talking about sports. Um, but actually, I, I this was this was kind of I lovely. Love this. Yeah. Okay. So I boycotted the World Cup this year so hard that I forgot the final was even on and went yeah. Christmas shopping on the Sunday evening. And yeah. I have to say, great idea. So <clears throat> I am told Argentina won um, the World Cup and it was a really, really hardcore match. So... Argentina were 2 0 up, then France came back, and then it went to penalties. Yeah. Um, went to extra time on penalties. Extra time on yeah. penalties. Yeah. Well, it has to go to extra time to go to penalties. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, Sports. they both scored a goal in extra time, so it was like so, super tense. <laughs> so then Argentina won. It's probably it's Messi's last World Cup. Yeah. The greatest player in the world ever, probably. Um, so they had a fly back to Argentina. And I don't, I don't know if anyone's seen the, the drone footage. But it was absolutely amazing in Buenos Crazy. Aires. They couldn't get the team bus um, into the city, so the footballers had a the footballers had to um, get helicopters into the city center so that they could um, basically bring the, the word bring yeah. the World Cup back. Um, a statement from their AFA president said that they were the squad were upset not to continue their journey as intended, and they were rather spooked by the events on the route because they were quite afraid people are going to fall off buses and people are climbing yeah. on stuff. Like, the pictures are unbelievable. I've never seen that many people in one place before. It was really, like, I, I don't know that much about Argentina. I, yeah. don't, I don't really know anything about Argentina. Um, and I need to learn more about Argentina because from what I've seen, um, first of all, they're obviously a very passionate country. There mm. are people who love their country. And love football. And love football. And, you know, you could see, even though I know nothing, and if you know loads, you're probably shouting at the your earphones or whatever but like you could see how much it meant to them and I I, my my TikTok was kind of full of little clips and there was one interview before the World Cup final where a journalist was saying to Messi you know even if you don't win what you've given us already as a country is so much that it's it's beyond winning a World Cup like it's more than that and I saw another another player just like bawling crying speaking to a reporter (laughs) like you know there was gorgeous videos of families watching of people pouring out into the street of like mm. there was one video of a, a, a blind man on his balcony and all the fans below were like chanting up to him oh, so, so that he I know like but it was really like the way the Argentinian people responded to this was so gorgeous it obviously means a lot to them and I'm sure there's someone else somewhere else you could go to find out why yeah. um, you know beyond <laughs> this isn't the podcast for that <laughs> yeah uh, beyond just loving your country but mm-hmm. it was gorgeous now I was disappointed to learn that Messi 
has signed up as an ambassador type yeah, for that. Saudi Arabia f- who are bidding for the World Cup in 2030. Not cool. Not cool. And like, we I know, we're going like right renowned. off the back of Qatar. And, you know, when do you have enough money? He's also like renowned for being a really sound guy. Yeah. Like he comes from a really small village and has donated a lot of his insane salary back to the village where he grew up and he married a girl he went to primary school with. Yeah. Like he's not like a typical no. kind of footballer. So I was really disappointed to read that because I was like, I have it's a hard time believing you didn't hear some of the shit we were saying about yeah. Qatar, but you've decided to go and be an ambassador for a place that cuts people's heads off. It's it's so weird. I just don't get it because you know this is a man who has been earning uh, like millions every year for years. Mm. So like, w- when do you have enough money? Like, why do you need the 125 million or whatever it is? Also, you know, it's a legacy. Why? It's a legacy issue. I don't want Messi to be remembered for being a shell for Saudi Arabia. No, I was super disappointed. Um, now, I will say, uh, Ronaldo is also um, part of that bid. Not so surprising. I mean, I'll get sacked if I say what I think about Ronaldo. So okay. we'll just move on. Anyway, um, let's move to Afghanistan, where there were really upsetting scenes this week as uh, Afghan women were stopped from entering universities uh, due to the Taliban ban on women getting education, basically. This is such bullshit. Mm. Like, we knew this was going to happen. Mm. When America pulled out of Afghanistan and handed them to the wolves handed them back to the Taliban the Taliban said no 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 we're a different Taliban now yeah we're gonna let girls go to we're gonna let girls go to school we're gonna let girls have an education and we know that young girls have not been allowed um to go back to school um for the last couple of years now armed guards are standing outside university campuses um this week because the Taliban have ruled that even women who were so the way it was it was like if you were already enrolled in university you can you could still go So they've uh, basically they banned women from campus. Um, they said that they would have a softer rule when they took over, but now all the hardline Islamists have ratcheted up restrictions, mm. and all aspects of women's lives have been changed. So this is another part of that. So there was protests um, by students, and the thing I saw you can look over online. There was videos on Kabul University, which is the biggest university, of male professors walking out of the university and protesting and saying, I am not teaching here. Yeah. If women are not allowed to go to university. Yeah. Um like male students also were walking out and saying because this is this is the thing, women don't matter in Afghanistan. So you need men to stand up and yeah. say, I am not going to do this. Yeah. Um and this is just the start of it, you know, like it's universities now and then it'll be back to exactly the way it was before America got there. And I'm not saying that America was good for Afghanistan by any stretch. But the Taliban do not, I'm not going to say don't give a shit about women. The Taliban actively hate women and want to control them. So the UN came out this week and said they were deeply alarmed about it. They said that like the di- denial of education not only violates the equal rights of women and girls, but will have a devastating impact on the country's future. This is the thing. Banning half of your population from higher education is also bad government. Yeah, Like you need people to work in your country you can't ban half the country from education i thought it was interesting um because i think a lot of people look at the taliban and presume it's about religion Mm. Um, oh no it's not but it's not this is not control and power yeah Yeah. and one of the male students who was leaving the university said um you know really expresses their illiteracy and low knowledge of islam and human rights about the taliban that they implemented this in the first place and i think that's like i think i hope that since, say, 9-11, when there was such a huge, huge surge of Islamophobia, and then obviously the subsequent
subsequent terrorist attacks. I I kind of think through that, lots of us actually have more knowledge yeah. of what Islam actually is oh, about. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. Yeah, 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 I knew nothing. I'll, I'll be completely honest. Um, and anyone who knows, I think even a little bit about Islam knows that it's a it's a religion that's all about compassion and kindness. Yeah, and if you take it seriously, it's actually sounder than Catholicism. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so like, you know, to, to kind of, for them to kind of almost take the mantle of being a religious group is offensive. I yeah, think. really, because like they also um, carried out terrorist attacks like on the eve of Ramadan. Yeah. And one of my Muslim friends was like, this is how you know that these assholes aren't even Muslim because like he would sometimes smoke weed, but would never do it in Ramadan because yeah. you're not supposed to do stuff in Ramadan. Yeah. And he was like, these assholes aren't even Muslim because if you actually cared about Islam, you wouldn't do anything at Ramadan, let alone murder people. Yeah, um, that's awful. That's awful. And the thing is, you don't, you know, you can't really see how it's going to turn around. No. Um, okay. And finally, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, Jeremy Clarkson, uh, renowned, if you've been paying attention, dickhead, wrote a really vicious column about Meghan Markle that thankfully was received by the vast majority of people with absolute horror. I cannot believe that Jeremy Clarkson still continues to get work. This is someone who punched who punched someone in the face in their workplace yeah. and then continues to get a column in a newspaper and TV shows. Mm-hmm. He has said the most revolting things about striking workers, about women, about Irish people. He is... Honestly, along with Pierce Morgan, famous for being a really, really, really disgusting person. Mm. And this week, in his column in The Sun, said that he hated the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle. He said he didn't hate her like he hated Nicola Sturgeon, because God forbid mm. he would hate a man. He had to mention another woman. He said he hated her on a cellular level. He said he grinds his teeth at night thinking about her. And that he wanted her to walk through the streets naked so people could throw shit at her. I don't understand how men can write things like this and say things like this and not one person in their life says, you really need therapy. Well, you the thing is, need help. His daughter has yes. come out and said, uh, no, yeah, <laughs> this is horrendous and I don't agree. And she was like, you know, she basically was like, I'm a feminist. I'm, a, I'm against mm. this kind of misogyny. You know. She's actually quite good. She's like a fitness instructor who's really against like toxic diet culture and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I looked into it after yeah. she came out against Very her dad. Good. But um, yeah, but, but the fact that this was published, like, you know, it went Listen, through an I work, I work in newspapers. I have my own column. And like, obviously with a column, no one tells you what to write. It's your column, your name on it. But there is just, there's still a level. We have, to, we have to abide by the press watchdog. We yeah. have press ethics. Like, I don't understand. Not only that, like, he must, the editor, I'm assuming, must have known that this was going to get complaints. You know, it's the most complained about article I mean, we will say it is ever. the sun. 17,500 complaints by yesterday. Then it went up to 20,000. So the UK media regulator on its own received 14,000 in 2021 for all newspapers. And this had 20,000 by the first week. I think that's good, though. I think that shows that people are not up for that kind of content. Like, people are not up for that sort of vicious misogyny. And, you know, he came out and tweeted, and I... Oh, this my tweet God, the worst pathetic. non-apology. He said, oh, dear... 
I've rather put my foot in it. In a column I wrote about Meghan, I made a clumsy reference to a scene in Game of Thrones, and that has gone down badly with a great many people. I'm horrified to have caused so much hurt, and I shall be more careful in future. Like, this is so annoying, because first of all... Also, I just say the reference to Game of Thrones, a TV show that famously also treated women like shit? Well, exactly. But, like, the suggestion is, oh, I... I, I, People didn't get the reference. No, we got the reference. Oh, no, I got it. I watched the episode. I've seen it. I got the reference. Like, we got the reference. The point is it's disgusting and the, even even if you take that out and you just say you hate someone you hate so someone. much you lie in bed grinding your teeth over them someone you don't know like it's so sick it's and weird so, so odd Ugh. and like just to bring it back to like obviously let's make everything about me right but yeah. like i remember a man as well sending me a thing being like i hate you like you're mm. disgusting blah, blah, blah. and i remember thinking i cannot imagine hating someone so much that I don't know even someone I do know even the person who's done the worst possible thing to me in the world I can't even think who that would be don't think I lie in bed thinking about anyone that I hate like it's a very the fact that he wrote it like he said that everyone my age feels the same way it's like, like what? Well, no, no. Like, and it's sad that you think that because that says a lot about the circles that you run in as yeah. well like and I also think what is very chilling to me is the silence from Buckingham Palace yeah. and Kensington Palace. Yeah. There has not been one statement from the royal family, from Prince William. Yeah. I well, re- haven't watched the Harry and Meghan documentary. The first thing I thought was, as someone who is, I totally, I think they're genuine. I know people have their own feelings, but I think they're genuine people. But having seen the toll that this sort of stuff takes on that girl, the first thing I thought when I saw this was like, oh, how is she going to cope with this? I like, know. this is so, I know. so awful. Well, if it we're makes- going to we're gonna talk a lot more mm-hmm. about Harry and Meghan and the documentary in the context of the Queen's death and all the rest in our bumper episode, which you can listen, listen to mm-hmm. next week. So I'm going to just pause you there because we don't want to give it all away. That also um, a number of MPs have signed a letter and written to the editor of The Sun. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be the main official backlash yeah. has been from the House of Commons. Yeah. Well, I, I think we'll leave it with uh, James Felton on Twitter who replied to Jeremy Clarkson and said, don't worry about it, mate. We've all tripped, fallen, and accidentally crowbarred in a reference to throwing shit at a naked woman right after saying we hate her more than Rose West. It's easily done. Even <laughs> uh, more political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland. Thank you so much. Happy Christmas. Rory Hearn is a lecturer in social policy in the Department of Applied Social Studies in Maynooth and a housing expert. His book, Gaffs, Why No One Can Get a House and What We Can Do About It, was published in September. And when I heard him speaking recently at Banter at Other Voices, I just felt like we had to get him on the podcast. He's so smart. He really knows what he's talking about when it comes to housing. I learned so much from chatting to him and I hope you enjoy it. I'm really glad that you were up for coming on because we do on this podcast every week, we do a news section and um, Mm -hmm. almost every week we talk about something which is, even if it's not housing itself, it's linked to housing Mm -hmm. because the housing crisis is affecting everyone in so many different ways in Ireland and I find myself and I feel like my listeners will know kind of banging my head against the wall over this situation Um, and I thought it might be good to talk to you to get first of all some background on how we got here and then also maybe 
to possibly feel a little bit positive about potential solutions to our situation. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you've literally written a book about this, but you're you're an expert in housing as well. Tell us a little bit about how you came to, I suppose, do the work that you do now. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit of a, a long story and... Um, yeah, I go back to, you know, I talk about I grew up for the first 12 years of my life in private rental housing um, in a small town in Tremor. Uh, mm. It was, would have been quite unusual, but my parents had emigrated to Canada. They came back. They couldn't buy a house at the time. Um, and I do remember, like, when I was six or seven, we had to leave. And we had to leave because the landlord um, was wanting to sell their property. Of course, people will understand that yeah. completely. Um, and I do, like, it was only across the town but for me I lost my best friend who lived beside me and um, it was something that kind of stuck with me as always an interest in housing Um, and then I did it in university Mm. I studied kind of planning and and geography and economics and sociology Mm. and I remember I had a lecturer um, in in Trinity who talked and showed us about public housing and what it was and the history of it going back to the, the 1920s and the likes of Marino and so we were taught about the importance of public housing yeah. um, and then I started to get involved in my PhD doing research on social housing estates in Dublin like Fatima Mansions, mm. people might have heard of um, St. Michael's Estate Dolphin, ha- Dolphin House mm. or Devony Gardens, these were places that had been run down for years mm. um, and I was doing research with the community about how to sustain those communities and then the crash happened Mm. and I was still working on it and then I went and started um, actually lecturing in Maynooth I had been working in the community as a community worker there Mm. and then in Maynooth kind of from 2014 2015 onwards I was researching what was going on around the housing crisis but also I always kind of retained this involvement in the communities and Mm. in what was happening and homelessness was emerging then we had the first families becoming homeless. Yeah. Um, and I always, you know, struck it. And the memory is just so striking with me. I remember walking with about 30 families down O'Connell Street in 20, probably 2015 it was, mm. at one of the first marches over the housing crisis. That's 2014, 2015. Yeah. And I always remember being struck with a little, um, it was a little note put on the school bag of a seven-year-old or eight-year-old child walking along with her mom, just saying, I'm homeless living in a hotel. Yeah. And, and she was wearing her school uniform and I just was very upset by that. And yeah. I continue to be upset by it all the time that mm. we have children going. So for me, it's been both research and I suppose as a campaigner, as someone yeah. who cares about this and who is a long, I suppose, a long journey to see, has seen the value of home and the importance of home for, for everyone to have, to have a life and to live yeah. with dignity. Yeah, I, I, th- I, w- I was there a photograph of that in the paper that 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 school bag note if there wasn't I've seen I remember I seeing something was, similar yeah, yeah I and I know exactly what you mean it really hits you and and that for me I mean is one of the things that I really struggle with is the fact that we do have children who are you know literally not developing in the way that they're supposed to physically emotionally mentally because they're not in appropriate living situations and it's kind of you know when we live in a country that's at full employment and you know we have politicians who are you know absolutely celebration kind of GDP growth it it's sickening to think that we have children who are stuck growing up in hotels it doesn't make sense so how did we get here yeah no you're absolutely right it doesn't make sense and we shouldn't allow it make sense and, yeah. and I think that's something really important and because 
there has been part of the problem of why we're here is that there's been like this normalization of this level of homelessness. And, mm. and that didn't that came from the top. You know, we had Leo Varadkar talking about, you know, oh, Ireland's homelessness levels are not quite, you know, we're comparable to other European countries. And whether we were or we weren't, it was an attempt to say, oh, look, things aren't too bad here mm. um, and or they are as bad as everywhere else. And you're like, well, what's the point you're trying to make there? And of course, yeah. the point you're trying to make is downplay. The, the significance of what's going on yeah. um, and the impact of it. And how we ended up here, you know, it does go back to the 1980s when um, we stopped, essentially we stopped building social housing or council housing. We adopted the, the ideology, the way of thinking uh, about housing from the UK, which was, you know, everybody will become a property owner and mm. the, the local authorities don't have roles anymore in delivering housing. And of course, the reality is there's always going to be people uh, who, and a significant proportion of people, you know, estimates are between a third to a quarter of the population can never fully afford housing in the market. And that's a mm. lot, a lot of people. Mm. Um, and if you don't have housing provided, social housing, then it creates this huge imbalance. Um, mm. And essentially, we council stopped building. There was the Celtic Tiger. Prices went through the roof. And, and I argue as well that, that something that's not talked about during the Celtic Tiger is during the Celtic Tiger, we kind of turned property from home into investment. Mm. And a lot of people became these small-time landlords. They were lent money by the banks. And in the last three years of the Celtic Tiger, in 2006, 7, 8, half of all new homes were bought as an investment. Yeah. They weren't bought as a home. Half. And of course, they were the people, mm. half. You know, and, and, and at that point, then I said, that was where generation rent started. Because you had people who couldn't buy a home because they were been locked out by people buying multiple homes. Yeah. And the purchase of multiple homes was pushing up prices. And then you had people had to go into rental. And of course, where did they rent? They rented from the people buying the multiple yeah. homes. We weren't building social housing. So then people who needed social housing were social housing were also going into the private rental sector getting subsidies. Mm. So that was pushing up rents. Then we had the crash. And of course, you know, I make a lot of you know, points about this period, we, we really made fundamental mistakes in our response to the crash, particularly mm. the likes of NAMA that was set up that sold off all the property and land to vulture funds instead of keeping it that could have built housing. Mm. We further cut back building of social housing. And then when you look at like things like, you know, Airbnb, for example, is a big problem. Mm. And we haven't monitored or regulated that properly. Mm. So we look at, for example, the 16,000 units uh, full entire homes being rented on Airbnb and there's only about a thousand homes being rented nationally on the likes of Daft. Yeah. You look at our vacant and derelict properties, we have 166,000 vacant properties, tens of thousands of derelict properties. So housing was kind of at some level, it wasn't thought about properly. Yeah. Everything was like, oh, the market will sort it out. And now we're like, oh my God, there's this shit show of unbelievable, unprecedented proportions. They're like, how did we end up here? And I'm like, well, you kind of abandoned housing for 30 yeah. years. So it was going to end up here. Yeah. You mentioned vulture funds there. And I'm interested to hear kind of your perspective on the role that they play in our current situation. Because um, I think there is a sentiment out there that, you know, the regular person who wants to buy a house just often doesn't stand a chance against, you know, international funds or international buyers who are somehow able to buy up property in Ireland. Is that a fair perception or not? 
Oh, absolutely. It is. It, it's a reality. Um, again, I've been making this point since about 2015 mm. um, that the government had invited in these funds, these investor funds, because the government wasn't willing itself to build and they wanted them to buy up all these loans and toxic land off NAMA. And essentially, they turned to the funds as a way of getting Ireland out of our past crash. Um, and they thought they gave no thought to what um, the impact this was going to have on renters, on future generations, housing. Mm. You know, we had Owen Murphy, you might remember the Minister for Housing, talking yeah. about, you know, people who want to live in boutique, these, you know, uh, co-living, they're like boutique hotels. Mm. And you're like, my God, you clearly have never had to rely on living rental in Ireland in your life. Um, and so but what, what happened was you see that investor funds bought up a very and are still buying up significant amounts of apartments mm. um, and homes. We saw it in, in Minute, them buying up, uh, them trying to buy up an estate. Mm. And what they did over the last kind of four or five years is that they're the ones, when you see around Dublin and, and the wider Dublin area, all these new apartments going up and there is a very significant amount of them, mm. but they're all being bought up or most of them are being bought up by pension funds, German pension funds, by the U.S., uh, equity funds, investor funds, which are here, the likes of Kennedy Wilson. Um, we have our own Irish real estate investment trust that's buying them up and building them. And of course, they're just unaffordable to rent. Like they're at rents that are two and a half thousand, three and a half thousand for one and two bedroom apartments that no one can afford. Yeah. And so with that in mind, then, you know, I saw Leo Varadkar was speaking this week as he begins his new term as Taoiseach about housing and how he, you know, it's a it's a very deep housing crisis, which is affecting people of all generations in all sorts of different ways. I agree with him on that. And then he says, you know, he, he believes in the plan and they're going to build more houses and blah, blah, blah. But part of me is, you know, I'm kind of like building more houses is great as long as people can actually get to them. But if you're building houses or houses are being built and there's more construction and then at the end of the day, the property is still being acquired internationally, then, you know, how do we really benefit from it? Yeah, I, I agree completely with you. And, you know, and the figures for Dublin are quite stark. Yeah. Um, if you look at, for example, this year so far, it's in the region of about 5,000 um, new homes have been built, about mm. 5,000. And 60% of those, 60% mm. um, have been bought by non-households yeah. in the main investor funds. So you're absolutely right. What is the point? So you have this huge increase, or not huge increase, but an increase mm. in supply and construction. But if people can't buy it or rent it affordably, mm. you're absolutely right. What What is the point in it? Um, and so I think like it's welcome to hear, you know, uh, Leo Varadkar and his uh, road to Damascus conversion of realizing the housing crisis is actually something serious, mm. which I'll welcome, I'll take. Mm. <laughs> but the question is, you know, will he do what's necessary to actually change it and implement solutions? And I don't know without serious public pressure, yeah. is he going to do that? Well, what are the things, what are the solutions as far as you're concerned? What do you think he could do that would actually make a difference? Yeah, I think there's a lot he can do. And, that, and that's where I kind of, because I, I, I constantly try to emphasize that, you know, we can we can solve this. We can yeah. because we have to keep hope because there is so much despair and people are really, really suffering. Like, yeah, and, le and, you know, legitimate despair. Absolutely. Yeah. And people are emigrating and 
people are looking how the hell you know they just can't see a future i think there's immediate things he could do like for example on renters he could extend the eviction ban for two years mm. like you know we're looking at march and we've thousands of people potentially facing homelessness so i think that's something he could do immediately and mm. um, he hasn't indicated he's going to do that but i think that is a key measure that would give people security at least that they're not worrying where the hell am i going to find somewhere Mm. Um, and I think you would need that for at least two years. Um, the other thing he could do is he could start a process of freezing and reducing rents, which w- would again require um, serious measures. The, 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 I think something he could do is he could set up a public um, construction company, a state building agency that would actually build homes. And like we do, you know, as I make the point, we have doctors, nurses, teachers, Mm. who ensure we provide education and health, but we don't do that in housing. We Mm. essentially say, if it's profitable for a developer, then it'll be done. If it's not, or an investor fund, it's not going to be done. And and that's the problem. Um, And of course, they don't do it affordably. So I think we need to say, look, we need to guarantee housing and the provision of it and set up a public um, construction company. I think that, you know, there is, the positive is that local authorities after been, told for 30 years you don't build are starting to build again Mm. they're starting to contract private builders housing associations as well are the not-for-profit organizations who provide social and affordable housing they are also you know increasing their provision but they made the point just in the iraq just last week that they need access to land yeah they need more seed funding from Mm. government so you know the government could do those things that Mm. would you know, there's people building social and affordable housing saying, look, if you did this, we could do more. Yeah. Um, and of course, tackling vacancy and dereliction, like yeah. they're, you know, absolutely key. Um, and what about Airbnb? I mean, like, where do you stand on that? Well, my own view is that um, housing should be available for people as homes to rent. Um, and the... Airbnb, I am strongly against because I obviously there's a role for it in renting out a room in your house when yeah. you're gone or, you know, your house when you're away for, you know, a short period. But I think there has to be a banning um, and a removal of the long term use of homes and multiple homes mm. by Airbnb. Mm. Um, and we do have to understand that this isn't just something that comes from people who want to make a bit of money from renting their home while they're away. Airbnb has a business model which is focused on replacing rental, long-term rentals with Airbnb. Mm. That's what they want to do. So I'm very worried about that. And I'm very worried that Airbnb has such an in with the Irish government and they've got, you know, lobbyists. And so I I would be very, very concerned. And I think we need to restrict Mm. Airbnb. And and there's lots of other short stay platforms. And when Mm. you go around Dublin, you see it. You see the little locks on the the bike locks. And, you know, when and, you know, we have no idea how many properties are been, you know, Mm. well, we know from a monitoring website inside Airbnb says about 16,000 homes, entire homes are on Airbnb. And that doesn't include other platforms as well. Huge. And is there a country that you think is doing it right? Is there a country that you think has has tackled, like in terms of renters' rights, in terms of rental security, in terms of social housing, in terms of you know policies around Airbnb? I mean, I realize that's a lot of things, but like, is there a country <laughs> that's doing it right? Yeah, like there are other countries that are doing it much better than we are, right. and I think that's really important. That it's not a case that you know <laughs> again 
poor Leo Vradker, but he puts himself out there for it. You know, said the grass isn't greener abroad, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, actually, in some countries it is. Yeah. And, you know, countries like Denmark, for example, um, you know, I was looking at the figures for w- three quarters of 20 to 29 year olds in Ireland. Three quarters are living at home with their parents. Yeah. Like that is just phenomenal. Like yeah. we are now... Like I remember growing up in school and there was like this thing of the the um, you had the Mediterranean countries where young people lived, you know, for really long till their 30s at home. And then you had countries like Ireland and the northern countries in the UK and that where we moved out at 20, you know, yeah. or in our late teens was completely changed. Yeah. And but, but in Denmark, they're actually um, their level of young people is about 20 percent. Right. So most young people, when they hit 20, can get a home. How do they do it? They do it in large part because these they have what I was referring to earlier, these not for profit housing associations, these housing bodies that build affordable housing of all their housing in Denmark. 30 percent of it is that type of housing, Mm -hmm. affordable housing. And in Ireland, it's less than 10 percent. So they have a lot more affordable housing that's outside the kind of general market. And they have lots of interest in ways. Tenants, for example, um, they can buy into their their apartment block. So they. They can buy their unit, but they can't sell it then on the open market to a speculator or an investor. Okay. They can only sell it to someone else who's going to rent it. Right. So there's different. There's lots of different ways we can do things. You know, Finland, again, is a very good model. They have continuously built. They have a public construction company in, in um, Helsinki. Mm. They've also the country that have the lowest levels of homelessness because they build homes instead yeah. of emergency shelters. You know, there are things. They also have the right to housing in their constitutions. Um. And of course, they don't have laws which allow landlords evict tenants Mm. um, when they're selling the property. And why I feel so strongly about that one is because you hear all the time from renters that the landlord evicts them. And whether it's illegally or legally, the tenant doesn't feel like they can challenge it. Because they're just like, oh, well, that's the laws. That's the way it is here. Mm. I can't challenge it. And we know that there's you know, thousands of landlords who get away with it all the time, evicting a tenant mm. when it's not actually legal mm. and tenants don't feel they have rights. Whereas in other countries, tenants feel and do have rights. And so yeah. they can say, well, hang on a minute, you can't do that. Whereas here, renters just live in fear of everything, anything, yeah, you know, everything. Yeah. They, they won't even ask the landlord, will you fix you know, the broken window? Yeah. Because they're terrified they'll get evicted. Yeah. And we don't talk about that stuff, that daily kind of, you know, Grind. anxiety yeah absolutely yeah. Ang- absolutely anxiety and you know i do talk that a lot about that in my book about home and what does home mean and home isn't just a roof over your head home is somewhere where you can control it's somewhere that's maintained properly it's somewhere that you can feel safe and secure mm. but renters can't do that and, and we were talking earlier about children and you know we've young kids and you know, you just think for a moment, you know, what must it be like worrying, not just about being in homelessness, but we now have um, over 130,000 households mm. in the private rental sector with children. So it's probably in the region of 300,000 children yeah. growing up in the private rental sector now. And their families have no sense of security. Yeah. You know, no sense. Will I be here? Can I be part of the community? Yeah. And that's that stress and anxiety that adds to general, as you know, you know is uh, it's, um, yeah I, I, I think that um 
when I go back to, you know, naming names, but Owen Murphy or, you know, Simon Coveney and those, they said, oh, sure, you know, young people will just become renters in Ireland. And you're like, no, you can't become a renter when you've no security and no affordability. Exactly. I mean, that's what I think it comes down to for, for me, you know, in what I observe. And I, I, I don't know, do I even fall into the young person category anymore? But like, you know, I have lots of friends who do if I don't. And <laughs> You know, it is that feeling The whole of, definition of young has changed yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel young anyway. But like, you know, you can't even put a poster up in some houses. Like, how could you possibly feel at home somewhere that you can't make your own at all, where you feel like you could be out in your rear, you know, a, a, in six months? And yeah, it's the, the, I think the social and kind of, you know, psychological impact of that can't be overestimated like it is very significant anyway Rory I I could we could talk all day um, and and of course I know that people will want to hear more from you Rory's book is Gaffs Why No One Can Buy a House and What We Can Do About It he is Rory Hearn I really appreciate you giving me the time it's great to hear that there are things that can be done but we need to obviously encourage the government to do those things yeah, no, absolutely. And thanks, Louise, for giving me the, the opportunity to chat and to your listeners as well. There is. And I do think, you know, the the Raise the Roof protest that was held, you know, in November, yeah. that, that kind of I feel we do need to create a social movement like yeah. repeal and marriage equality that, you know, brings everybody together and yeah. says we need to do this very differently. And then yeah. that's my hope for 2023 that we do that. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good note to leave it on. Thank you so much, Roy. Thank you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Louise. I am delighted to be once again partnering with Now for this bonus segment, which is giving me the chance to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, and that is television shows. And today I'm going to be specifically talking about box sets. All of these are actually available on Now, and they're all available to stream with a Now Entertainment membership, which currently you can get half price for six months. So... 
I'm going to start with a recommendation, which hopefully will bridge the gap for you if you're really struggling post The White Lotus. Obviously, if you haven't watched The White Lotus, like I feel like I, I, I've said it. I mean, I've said it so many times, but I just need you to understand that you're missing out if you haven't watched it. It's so good. Season one and two is all on now right now. So if you want to go and watch it, you can. I've seen people arguing about which series is better, series one or series two. And honestly, I think they're like neck and neck brilliant. Just such good characters. And I think one of the reasons that the series is so good is because it's created and written by this guy called Mike White who is clearly just brilliant. And so the first series I want to recommend to you is Enlightened, which is also from Mike White. Um, so this was massively critically acclaimed and it starred Laura Dern, who, let's be honest, we all absolutely love. And it had the same kind of um, campness and dark humour, which the White Lotus has, and which is obviously why we love the White Lotus so much. It premiered on HBO in 2011, and it is, the tagline was about a woman on the verge of a nervous breakthrough. And basically, Laura Dern is the main character. She's like very successful executive. Her like work life basically goes to pot. And so she has a kind of you know, a spiritual awakening when she's in rehab trying to sort herself out. It is brilliant. It's really brilliant. It, she won a Golden Globe for it. It was nominated for Best Television Series of the Golden Globes, but it actually only only was on for two series. So it's not a huge undertaking if you want to cozy up and watch it over Christmas or over the holidays. Um, definitely is one that will probably suit you if you like that kind of humor. Then additionally, The Sopranos. This is on my like top of my list for a rewatch to be honest, I wouldn't normally be a kind of gangster violence type of gal, but this show is so much more than that because the characters are so brilliant. It's so well written. They just, you know, the setting is great. Like you're in a world that is so different from our own and you really end up siding with people you don't expect to side with and loving characters you don't expect to love. And if you've kind of written it off previously and thought, oh, that's not for me, give it a chance because it is truly, I think, one of the best TV series of all time and it's all there and now. Then... I know James Corden gets a really hard time these days, guys, but if there's one great thing that James Corden has given this world, it's Gavin and Stacey. And if you've never watched it, I, I'm almost jealous of you because it is so good. It is perfect cozy viewing for this time of year it's really funny proper like laugh out loud you'll be quoting it for years funny but it's also really wholesome and heartwarming and um, it's it's a love story at the heart of it um and it's set in Essex and in Wales in Barry Island and it's just it's it's brilliant like it's brilliant I literally don't have the words so if you haven't watched it please make it your business to do that then I also wanted to recommend Younger which is a criminally underwatched and underrated sitcom starring Hilary Duff um, and also Sutton Foster if you're a um if you're a Broadway fan then you know Sutton Foster she's hugely successful Broadway star but it had seven series produced by Darren Starr who you know from Sex and the City and it's just really clever and funny um and, I, you know, I, I just really recommend it. It's a good one to kind of binge um, if you fancy that, if you want to sit down and just watch loads of episodes because they're short episodes. Um, it's not like, um, you know, a huge undertaking. And aside from those people, it has Debbie Mazar in it. And if you don't know who Debbie Mazar is, Google her. She is this absolutely iconic woman who is 
one of Madonna's absolute best friends and she has been in so many cool things and she has such a cool vibe and attitude definitely worth a go then of course there's loads and loads of other stuff as well there is Band of Brothers is on there which I'm definitely going to rewatch soon True Blood if you never watched that Vampires in the Deep South very good Ab Fab is on there loads of my faves and then plus loads of new stuff like House of the Dragon and Gangs of London as well so if you want to get in board with all of that, you can stream them all with a Now Entertainment membership. And currently, as I said at the start, you can get this membership for half price for six months. I can't wait to get cozy. This week was actually, usually this time of year is quite quiet for stories in general, but entertainment stories. Uh, but this was chock-a-block with fascinating entertainment stories from the possible breakup of Paul and Phoebe to the Nepo baby conversation which brought in all kinds of people fortunately the best possible person to discuss these specific stories with Emer McLeisett was available to take us through them all Emer McLeisett once more onto the breach before we finish up for the year you are here <laughs> gifting us your talents you are of course co-author of the oh my god what a complete ashing books Irish Times columnist and uh, here today you are our shepherd through the world of entertainment as we talk about the stories that have happened this week and we actually there's loads of interesting stuff to what talk about this week. What stories they are. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start. I saw many uh, broken hearts yesterday on the internet. Um, I would say those are premature broken hearts. I'm interested to hear your take. Okay. Rumors are flying that Phoebe Bridgers and Paul Maskell have called off their engagement. Yeah. I mean, it is quite shocking. I saw some funny tweets about it and one of them was like, this is like the Titanic sinking for people who suffer with mental health problems. <laughs> There's somebody else saying this is like Kenneth Branagh cheating on Emma Thompson with, who was it? Not Kenneth Branagh, uh, Alan Titch, not No, Titch in real life, oh, it was in Kenneth life. Branagh cheated on Emma Thompson with Helena Bonham Carter. What? I haven't made that up. But then in, in film life, it's, it's um, Alan... Rickman. Alan Rickman cheating on Emma Thompson. Oh, Alan Titchmarch, put your green fingers on me. <laughs> Emma Thompson, utterly blind to her first husband's affair. Oh my God, I didn't know any of yeah. this. Yes, he cheated with Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. <gasps> That's shocking. There you go. Wonderful. So Thank you for that. The reason tidbit. we're making that comparison is because rumors are a flying that Phoebe Bridgers is doing a line with Bo Burnham. Yeah. People might remember Bo Burnham from his, um, could you call it a comedy special? I don't know. The Netflix special he put out during the pandemic that he recorded like in a room in his house. Yeah. And it was really, really popular. And yeah. maybe it was two years ago. But, I um, did one of those, you know, those where it's like everybody's talking about that. I'm, I refuse to watch it. Just it's, despite myself. It's actually very good. I heard it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Bo Burnham is in a long-term relationship with um, Lorraine Scafaria, who directed Hustlers. She directed, what is that amazing film with Susan Sarandon um, and her daughter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, we're re Google it there, Louise. Wow, okay. You keep talking, I'll Google it. Anyway, so hearts are breaking across the Atlantic because I know that Paul Meskell is currently in the UK because he's doing a play there. Phoebe Bridges. I know because I follow him everywhere. I know because I follow <laughs> Paul Meskell pics on Instagram. I used to follow Paul Meskell, but now he, he, I mean, he must have a Finsta, but he definitely doesn't have a public Instagram. Yeah. But I did notice a week or two ago, I was like, Paul and Phoebe, there's been very little 
you know, of them together recently. And I thought, well, they're just, I think she's been on tour. Yeah. Although she was in London recently. I am just remembering doing mm-hmm. The Nightmare Before Christmas live, she was. wasn't she? She was, And yeah. Paul is also in London. I don't know if we got any pics of them together. Oh, no. Also at Halloween, there was no pics of them together. Anyway, rumour mills are, are flying. Jezebel have a really good article on this, um, written by Rodlin May Banting. What a name. Wow. Um, and it's a good article because they have boots on the ground source. So okay. they were at the was um, a showing of Kate Berlant's new show. Kate Berlant is a comic and an actress. She played the pregnant woman in Don't Worry Darling. She's very She's funny. amazing. She's yeah. also in A League of Their Own, my, my favourite TV show of yeah. the year. So um, Bo Burnham directed that show. So he was there, obviously. And Phoebe Bridgers was there. And apparently there were technical problems with the show. And he got up on stage and said, really, sorry, we're going to have to pull the show. And then got off the stage and sat beside Phoebe Bridgers. And the Jezebel boots on the ground person was like, he was flirting with her. Like there was a vibe going on between them. This Mm. isn't the first time they've been spotted together. Like Mm. they were hanging out with Matty from 1975 recently. And... I don't know which of them posted the picture, but there was a picture posted of her kissing Matty on the lips and Bo Burnham is standing behind them. Would you do that if you were in a committed relationship? Post, have a picture of yourself kissing another man posted online. I think it just depends on your relationship, though. Yeah. It depends on what the vibe is between you and your partner. Like, you know, there'd be some relationships where that wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, I suppose. It depends on how secure you are in the relationship. I think back then there was kind of a, some chat about, oh, Paul and Phoebe are in an open relationship. You know, they're a modern couple, they're in an open relationship. Yeah. But Dumois, who sometimes have things right there, the gossip um, yeah. Instagram account, said absolutely not they have it from a very solid source that the engagement is off okay what I've really enjoyed is regional headlines about this so Cork Bio had uh, Paul Mescal and Phoebe Bridgers spark split rumours just months after buying a house in West Cork oh. I know if it was like the Leinster Leader which is the Kildare my local paper in Kildare it would be like you know Paul Mescal and Phoebe Bridgers split after spending last Christmas together in Maynooth yeah <laughs> Damien uh, Rice and Renee Zellweger no longer together after shopping trip in big nice Tesco it was actually I believe the Tesco in Lucan Excuse or in me. Leak Slip sorry I apologize. I apologize. Um, so yeah I mean there was a thirst trap of Paul Meskel posted on a friend of his Instagram account a few days ago uh-huh. where his friend is like lifting up his shirt and you're like, mm, okay, I see you, Paul. Do you know what? I am, I know everybody's really sad. I'm not. I th- I'm excited. I would like Paul to have a bit of a whore face. Yeah. Sorry, that feels inappropriate, that language. What I'm saying is, I want Paul to... I mean, they're both still in their 20s. Yeah, he's so hot and famous and talented. Like, I'd like him to, like, you know, see the world a little bit, if you know what I mean. I'm not talking about geography. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Before he settles down and gets married. Like, you know, enjoy, make hay, the sun is shining. I was just thinking as well, like, imagine being in your 20s and your relationship being subjected to this amount of scrutiny. It's insane. Also, imagine there's nothing, imagine they're still engaged, their relationship is completely fine. Imagine the damage this kind of, like, us, what we're doing. I mean, if you're listening, Paul and Phoebe, I wish you all the best. Well, I think it's, again, it depends on how secure you are in your relationship. Like if you're in that zone, we all know that relationships go through, you know, they ebb and flow through feelings of security and insecurity. And if you're in a period of total security where you know exactly where you stand with your partner, then this probably wouldn't make that much of a difference. But if you weren't, then it would have Mm. a huge impact. Um, Just uh, on Lorraine Scafaria. Scafaria? 
Scavario. Scavario. Um, Hustlers, This is Heaven, The Meddler. Is the Meddler is an amazing She's film. She's also directed an episode of Succession, some episodes of New Girls, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. She's, yeah, she's very talented. Yeah. And Hustlers, obviously, as you mentioned. Yeah. Okay, well, let's park that. I'm sure we'll hear more. I'm um, sure we'll hear more. They were really <coughs> um, quite covert about the rela- their relationship status for a long time. Mm. So, I don't know, are we going to get like confirmation well, you know, on this? Yeah, I don't think we will. I don't think we they've will. They've never even confirmed that they were engaged. No, exactly, because there was that Guardian article yeah. where they said they were engaged. And, and he then... has been spotted wearing a ring. Or there was there was speculation they were married because he was wearing a ring on his wedding finger. I mean, I don't even know which finger is the wedding finger. So people might spot me and go, oh my God, I am married. married. <laughs> I am married and I'm wearing a smiley face clatter ring on my wedding finger because my engagement ring lost a stone. And my wedding ring is at the bottom of the sea off the coast of Croatia. Um, So I tend to not take these things that seriously. Moving on. Um, Wow. What a turn up. Conor McGregor. What a great week he has. Wow. (laughs) What a fucking prick. Oh, con con. (laughs) What a pathetic little man. I like I think I have him like muted across. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have done that well. I start that (laughs) sentence again. No, look, take me as I am. I needed to blow my nose, okay? This is real life here. <laughs> um, I think I have him mostly muted, like across anything I can mute him on. Yeah. So I don't come across a lot of his social media. I didn't realize he was out there spewing his tweets out on Twitter still. Yeah. Um, so this is, I guess, a Twitter war between him and radio presenter and comic PJ Gallagher, who mm. is presents, I think, a morning show on Radio Nova. Um. Um, PJ Gallagher tweeted a few days ago this is one year exactly since I was admitted into St. Pat's with mental illness Um, this pic he posted a picture of himself was the last one taken before I went in absolutely torn up inside and scared out of my shite of what was going to happen next today Mm. I've never felt better in my life so Mm. he was marking a year since he was admitted to the psychiatric hospital and that was really well received and I thought it was brilliant that he came out and said that and you know because we there's a lot of chat around mental illness or mental health that's like you know go for a walk and talk talk to someone it's okay not to be okay and that's yeah, all well and good yeah it'll be lovely but not a lot of talk about serious mental illness where you need to go into the hospital yeah. sometimes and you know life can be extremely difficult yeah and it, you know I thought it was great for someone like him especially a man you know yourself yeah exactly so out of seemingly nowhere, Conor McGregor responded. I think he scre- he responded to that tweet and he said, PJ Gallagher, you sad little, you little sad pox of a thing. Sit upright and smile for a change, will you? You sad bleep. Ha ha, wife left you and all and you're crying in the paper about depression. Posture like a prawn. Sad bastard. I am Ireland. Don't forget if there's blood on my flag. And then some, you see, you see Sue. I don't know. You see Sue. Here. Yeah. Not a word. I think it was in response. There was an was. article this week that Conor McGregor, that referred to Conor McGregor as one of the five best British MMA fighters. Yeah. And PJ Gallagher. I don't even know if it was this week. I think it was some, some time stage, in the yeah. past. So fairly regularly, Conor McGregor is referred to as a UK yeah. um, sports star. That happens all the time. It happens to Irish actors, Irish, you know, all those kind of things. And PJ Gallagher had responded to this news story saying, oh, you know, it happens again. Oh, no, actually, you can keep him. Yeah. That is a really common thing for people to say about Conor McGregor. Like, he's the one person I wouldn't mind the British claiming him. Yes. Conor McGregor obviously saw this, had kept it in his in his breast pocket yeah. and wanted to take it out and hurl it back at PJ yeah. Gallagher. I mean, there isn't really a comparison between the two kind of attacks, if you want to call them that. Yeah. Um. Conor McGregor then was 
kind of pilliered online by people saying like the man is talking about his mental health this yeah. is really shitty of you to say this and then McGregor went on to say just countering his insults to me that's all if a supposed advocate for mental health can direct unwarranted vitriol towards me online then don't cry when it comes back and then he goes on I'm Ireland I'm Dublin blah yeah. blah blah and he posts he then went on to post a photo of a bloody MMA fighter and said PJ walking home yeah like he just like took it so weirdly far yeah and then Paul McGrath tweeted PJ take no notice of bullies you're loved by everyone whatever you do don't let him get the better of you pal stay well top man and then Conor McGregor tweeted slagging off Paul, Paul McGrath. McGrath and calling him English like what? I'm pretty sure Paul McGrath is Irish no yeah, like I look, it's just it's, it doesn't even matter. But it's just like, been a wild string of behavior by Conor McGregor to add to other questionable and downright problematic. And so much of Conor McGregor's behavior is irredeemable. Like you know the pub assault back in 2019, where yeah. he was filmed like punching an elderly yeah. man. I would say that the kind of pushing back against Conor McGregor as an Irish hero figure is quite hurtful to him. Yeah. It would be hurtful to anyone. Well, I mean, he did it to himself. He did do it to himself. Like, I remember, I once owned a Conor McGregor t-shirt. I me. remember, yeah, I remember um, when Conor McGregor first became, like, kind of famous, I was going out with somebody who was really into UFC yeah. and MMA, and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Like, a, you know, a, a new sport to get into. And then shortly I was like, oh no, actually, I, I've changed my mind. Well, I was just, he, I remember he did a press conference about, it was the one where he was like, he was on the dole. And then he'd won this big fight. And it was like, yeah, good for you. Like, good for you for working hard, you know, pursuing your dream and succeeding. Like, you know, everybody, it's like that Tyra Banks meme, we were all rooting for you. And then he turned out to be a real piece of shit. Like, let's be honest. The neck of you, Connor. Come for me, Connor. There's nothing you can say to me that will hurt my feelings. Literally nothing. I could could literally write the tweets now (laughs) that you would write about me. And I couldn't give two shits what you have to say about me. I mean, Connor, I think they've both since deleted various tweets. Yeah. Um, someone obviously got in Connor's ear and was like fucking take that down you yeah, idiot yeah and PJ I don't think I think he tweeted a few things and he deleted it yeah he was, he was like, like look, look it's all gone mad I'm not, yeah. I, there's no point in getting yeah. into this yeah. and he's right but like Jesus and Conor Christ. McGregor has rabid fans online so yeah. I'd say PJ has been muted well that's the thing like I'm like oh Conor McGregor say what you want about me and I and I mean that because you cannot hurt my feelings um, Conor McGregor because I don't care what you think of me but you would have face a deluge yeah. of abuse. Yeah. And it would be more that for me. Not that you care about what they say. It would be all of your social media would just be flooded. Yeah. So um, please don't tell anyone that I've been slagging off Conor McGregor. Just for that reason, that's the only reason. <laughs> I just want to be able to use my social media, guys. <laughs> um, okay, now let's talk about Bob Dylan. I found this absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Bob Dylan gave an interview this week in which he talked about his, some of his favorite cultural Af- things. After reading this um, kind of roundup of his favorite cultural things, I had to Google two things. Yes. One, Bob Dylan dead, question mark. <laughs> two, Bob Dylan Welsh, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I Bob Dylan is one of those people where you're kind of like is he still alive mm. Did, was there a big Bob Dylan is dead outpouring a few months slash years I totally ago agree. he's still with us um, you, Bob Dylan. and the reason I had to Google was was he Welsh was because I know when I was younger I used like much younger like a kid I used to mix up Bob Dylan and Dylan Thomas uh, Dylan Thomas being the Welsh poet yes. much the way I used to mix up Palestine and Philistine <laughs> that's that's worrying yeah but um, so Bob Dylan was ah he doesn't give a lot of interviews. Bob Dylan, not Welsh, not Welsh, not dead. Yeah, the, the famous <laughs> singer. Um, he gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal. Um, and he was talking about his uh, new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, and that sparked a memory in me. Do you remember when he won the Nobel Prize for Literature? I sure do. <laughs> um, 
he was asked about what his favourite cultural things are. What does he yeah. watch? What does he listen to? He loves to watch Coronation Street. Of course. He loves to listen to Oasis. He yeah. loves to listen to Arctic Monkeys. He loves to listen to Klaxons. That's, that's the real wild that's one. That's why I was like, I like, I was like, no, Bob, Bob Dylan is like the great American folk songwriter. He's not yeah. English, but I have to check because all of his cultural touchstones are English. Klaxons. They, by the way, haven't existed since 2015. I know. Oh, what a time. <laughs> I will say, danced many many a time to them in same. my uh, neon new rave gear same, in same. the 2000s. Um, he likes Coronation Street, Father Brown and some early Twilight Zones. Okay, so Twilight Zone isn't isn't British, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, he likes Brighton mm. Band, Royal Blood. Um, uh, my surprises were things like Rag and Bone Man. Yeah. Eminem. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Ed Sheeran, I mean... Of course, like Ed Sheeran is a great songwriter. I don't think anyone could, yeah. could argue that. But Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen, yeah they're, yeah, they're kind of... But the thing is, I think, you know, the Coronation Street and Father Brown, and like he says, I know they're old-fashioned, but they make me feel at home. I'm no fan of packaged programs. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Or news shows. I never watch anything foul-smelling or evil. Nothing disgusting, nothing dog-ass. I was like, which, I feel like he's missing out. Has he heard of the White Lotus? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to take dog-ass to into my yeah. vocabulary. That's dog-ass. But he is 81. Okay, yeah. So like, you know, maybe that's what you want when you're 81. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to watch anyone stressed. Maybe. Just want, you know, if they're stressed, it's because someone's been having an affair in the lingerie factory. Yeah, you know I wonder, I mean? is he, like, is he watching up-to-date Coronation Street or like kind of classic, like oh, Dear maybe, John maybe he's gone back to the start. Street. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I mean, good to know. Yeah. Interesting that he's a fan of Oasis. He, he says he likes the Oasis brothers. Yeah. Because, I mean... Like I was a big That's fan very of Oasis. Diplomatic, yeah. yeah, I was a big fan of Oasis as a teenager. Still a big fan of a lot of their music. Same. But I mean, a lot of people would slag them off for being like their lyrics aren't, you know, the greatest in the world. It's yeah. a lot of kind of just rhyming and stuff like that. But doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to the Bob total Dylan. package. Okay, we've got a we've got a few more stories. We just want to speed through the next couple. Yeah. Edie, I just thought I found this very amusing. This is very funny. So Avatar came out. I couldn't give a shit. I, I will not be watching it. Like truly, I. I Who are the people? Who are the people who are excited about Avatar 2? I don't know, Show but they exist. This girl on TikTok was crying at it. I remember going to see Avatar 1 in the cinema. Against, I don't, because I was four. Against my will. That's how long ago it was. And I was like, sorry, this is laughably bad. Yeah. This is a joke film, no? This anyway. new movie is more than three hours long. No, anyway, no. Edie Falco is in it, and it's taken so long to make. That what's she, happened? So she filmed her scenes for Ever- Avatar 2 four years ago. And she filmed it so long ago that she assumed it had come out, flopped. Well, she has been busy. She has been busy. Paying people to get her kids into college. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Nepo babies. <laughs> <laughs> Nepo babies were coming for you. Um, she assumed it had come out, flopped, and that's why she hadn't heard much about it. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> so funny. So it's funny. really funny. Edie, Edie Falcon, in case you're wondering, uh, famous for playing Carmela Soprano and Nurse yeah. Jackie from Nurse Jackie. She said she was very disappointed that she didn't that she had to be a human character. She said, I wanted to be blue. I was so excited. I'd be blue and very tall. I didn't get either of those things. I love these actors who get into their, I mean, I presume she's maybe in her 50s, 60s and are just kind of like, I'm just doing the job. I'm yeah. just doing the job. And Let's like, I don't pay attention. You know, pay I, me. I, the job is finished. I move on to the next one. I don't really care. Stunning. I feel like Brenda Fricker would be of a similar ilk. Yes. Um, um, and then the other film thing that we have to acknowledge this week is that the trailer for the Greta Gerwig Barbie film came out. It's very exciting, isn't it's it? It's very, like, it's very, like, what is it going to be like? We Who know knows? it's going to be satire. We've seen some behind the scenes photos. The trailer is kind of like the dawn of Barbie on Earth. Edie Falco 59, by the way. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, 
it's kind of like the dawn of Barbie on Earth. We see little girls playing with baby dolls. Yeah. And then Barbie like comes along and it's like, I'm here now. Yeah. And you're just like, what's, what's, what's it going to be like? I'm so excited. It looks excited. so good though. We just get like a few shots. And sorry, Issa Rae as a beautiful black Barbie is yeah. gorgeous. And Ryan Gosling just looks amazing. Yeah, and his Ken hair looks amazing. Neon. I just, I can't, I like. Yeah. Also, we got news that Nicola Coughlin is going to be in it. We don't know what part she's going to play, but just she, she, took the, the trailer yeah. um, release to say, actually, I'm going to be in this film too. One more time. I think she of, says like a small, a small role. So yeah. One more tiny bit of film news is um, on Colleen Kuhn has been shortlisted yes. for the Oscars. Now that doesn't mean it's nominated. The nominations don't come out until I think yes, March. Yes, like the final 15. But it's in the final 15. Yeah. It's the first Irish language film to ever be in that. It's amazing. That. So it's brilliant. If you haven't yeah. seen it, prepare yourself for the yeah. tears. It's, um, it's so amazing to see an Irish language film I mean, it's it's literally breaking barriers, yeah. so it's great. I mean, so many people don't even know that we have a language. I so know. For, if it ends up being nominated, it's going to be enormous. Oh, I call it Gaelic. Hopefully oh my God, are you speaking win. Gaelic? Gaelic? Erin Gobra. Erin Gobra. Now, uh, before we go, I wanted to have a little chat about Nepo Babies. This is especially for Susie Byrne, by the way, who listens regularly, has a lo- long time been <coughs> a, a, a loyal and kind supporter of my work. And she said this week that she just found out what soft launching a boyfriend <laughs> On uh, was and she said and now now she's hearing about nepo baby she said she needs an explanation oh my God, and I, there was a so much chat about nepo babies so this much week chat. and i've been a nepo baby <laughs> fan for like years i honestly for as long as i've known you like emer has been telling me about who which famous person's children are interesting to I follow, follow all the nepo on babies instagram. on instagram and have done since they were like 10 yeah so a nepo baby is a nepotism baby yeah and it's for this discourse that's going on at the moment it's the child of a celebrity yeah and they it's child of, children of celebrities who have gotten a foothold in the industry yeah and it's implied that it's because of their famous parents they've had famous, some sort of benefit yeah, they've had some yeah. kind of be- benefit so the reason it has kind of like I've been familiar with the term Nepo Baby for a while and it's because I listen to partly because I listen to a podcast on I know you do as well called Who, who Weekly, Weekly we talk about it all the time they talk about nepotism who's who are kind of nepotism non-celebrities yeah and, you know they just talk about it as yeah. part of their podcast quite a lot. Yeah. Um. But is New York Magazine yeah. called it the year of the Nepo baby? And I remember when this tweet was posted earlier this year. I think it was in February, and it was a Canadian tech support worker named Miriam Daraji, and she tweeted. Wait, I just found out that the actress that plays Lexi in Euphoria uh-huh. is a nepotism baby. OMG, her mom is Leslie Mann and her dad is a movie director, lol. Yeah, <laughs> so, a movie director, yes, Judd Apatow. So um, the actress who plays Lexi in Euphoria is Maud Apatow, who yeah. is Judd Apatow's daughter. If you've ever watched a Judd Apatow movie, particularly This Is 40 or Knocked Up. I watched This Is 40, This actually two This Is 40 facts. One of them is about me. I watched it this week. It is so good. Oh, it's 10 years old this yeah. week. And then the other one is yeah yesterday we're speaking on Thursday and on Wednesday it was 10 years old yeah. and I and I watched it the night before just by sheer coincidence oh, isn't that weird it is a good movie it's a great movie especially so if you have girls kids. that are in those movies are, are Judd Apatow's yeah. daughters it's um, also filmed in Judd Apatow's actual house oh, I didn't know and that and Leslie Mann is in it who's his actual wife yeah so the only part of that family that's not real is Paul Rudd it's Paul Rudd yeah um, so New York, the New York, New York magazine then has done like the year of the Nepo baby and it's highlighted all these different nepotism babies that are out there. Ones that people might be familiar with is Dakota Johnson, who is Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith's daughter and Tippi Hedren's granddaughter. Um, Lily Rose Depp, who's um, obviously Johnny Depp and Vanessa Paradis. Mm-hmm. Maya Hawke, who's Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Zoe Nor- Kravitz. Yeah, lots of them. And it has to be said, by the way, because 
we're going to get into the fact that some of the Nepo babies were not so happy about this piece. Yeah. The literal subheading on the on the piece is extremely overanalyzing Hollywood's Nepo baby <laughs> boom. Like they're acknowledging yeah. that this is a bit silly. Yeah. And also like nepotism, anyone who did junior cert history in Ireland will remember nepotism or maybe history anywhere in the world. I remember nepotism from studying the Renaissance. Yeah. And it was like, I think like nephews of the Pope got yeah. a leg up somewhere nepotism or something like that. Nepotism exists everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And already this discourse has turned to loads of nepotism as children of celebrities is one thing, but nepotism exists absolutely everywhere. Yeah. It exists in the behind the scenes, in business, in law, in sport, in finance. It exists everywhere and it's a problem everywhere. Yeah. But um it, Nepo babies is because there's really no defending like sometimes I feel sorry for the Nepo babies. I do. Because some of them are talented. Yeah. And Maya Hawk actually has the right um, attitude towards this. So yeah. She's in Stranger Things. I loved her in Stranger Things. I yeah. thought she was great. She looks so much like both Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Yeah. That you you could, you're just like, that's who she is. Yeah. Um, she says, uh, I think I'll get a couple of chances on their name, her parents' name. Yeah. And then if I suck, I'll get kicked out of the kingdom. And that's what should happen. So I'm just going to try not to suck. That's yeah. a good attitude. She's acknowledging that she probably got a, you know, foot up because of her parents' name. Yeah. And that if because she's crap, she won't get very far. Like, I don't think there's anyone who would deny that nepotism only goes so far. Yeah. Like, in, in this kind of realm. Like, it's let's say acting, specifically. Like, you are going to get into the room. You're going to get into the conversation. Yeah definitely with a huge like an enormous advantage if you have famous parents or who have connections but like if you're shit you're shit yeah like you know nobody is denying that you have to have talent to actually be successful yeah you yeah you will eventually just kind of drop off people are like oh well you know yeah the apple it turns out has fallen miles from the tree yeah and all of these people who who we've mentioned are genuinely talented yeah. people uh, one that really gets people's backs up is lily rose depp yeah and i it's she hasn't, t- to my knowledge, have had any major roles. Like, I, I haven't seen, never seen her in anything. She's in a new series which hasn't started yet. Which is The Idol. Yeah. Which is... I'm excited about ...made it. by the same guy who made Euphoria, who's yeah, Sam, Sam Levinson, Levinson, who is the daughter of film director... The son, rather, of film director Barry Levinson, another Nepo baby. Yeah. So she's going to be in that, and she's obviously playing a lead role. So, that I mean, she we'll see how good she is. Yeah. But like she has come out and said, if somebody's mom or dad is a doctor and then the kid becomes a doctor, you're not going to be like, well, you're only a doctor because your parent is a doctor. It's like, no, I went to medical school and trained. What she's missing there is the children of doctors have a certain amount of privilege yes. that will help them. Exactly. Nobody it, nobody is saying what you're saying they're yeah. saying. That's not what anyone's saying. What people yeah. are saying is they have an advantage because they have parents who know how to become doctors, who can support you, who can pay for you to go to, yeah. on the training and who know how the system works. Yeah. That is an advantage. There is no, you cannot argue that that isn't yeah, an advantage. And medicine is often a family business for that reason. So is law. A lot yeah. of people who have parents who are barristers or solicitors go into that same field yeah. because there is a slightly easier path for them. Yeah. I saw um, Eve Hewson was she, also... She, I've actually made a I note she's because she's, funny. she has been very funny about very it. Very funny. <laughs> so she commented under the New York magazine. They had this incredible cover, which was very eye-catching, which was the cut-out heads of a lot of Nepo babies, you know, photoshopped onto them in cribs. Yeah. And it's like, she has her mom's eyes and her agent. So it's just... <laughs> 
just really good. So underneath that, Eve Hewson, who's Bono's daughter and an actress, just commented jealous. <laughs> but then she also posted on her Instagram stories that meme from Mean Girls. And it's like, I don't think my father, the inventor of the toaster strudel, would be too pleased to hear about this. Yeah. So and then she went on like a rant on Twitter and she was like, next year's goal is, she's like, I can't believe I'm not in that article. Next year's goal is to be in, that, in the nepotism baby article. And then she's like, wait, I just found out I am in the article. <laughs> Yeah, her um, response has been very entertaining. Yeah. And I mean, she knows. She's like, yeah, I'm Bono's daughter. Like, I, you know. Obviously. I mean, I I loved her in Bad Sisters. Yeah, I think she's great. She's a great actress. She's great. So. But like, it's understandable. I think that the thing to say is that it's totally understandable that you would be sensitive about it. Because yeah. it does kind of call your talent into question. And that would be really frustrating if you've worked hard. As in fairness to Eve, she's been plugging away the yeah. acting for years and years and years like yeah. I've been watching her as a someone who grew up in a Bono house obviously I've had an eye on her career um, and she has clearly worked and hard and you know me as a follower of Nepo Babies of course I've been following all the Houston children exactly <laughs> and like does she have an advantage yes absolutely but she has worked really hard and I think yeah. it must be annoying like Maude Apatow said she admitted in an interview that she felt a little bit sad when she first learned that people think she's an nepotism baby and she said then said I try not to let it get to me because I obviously understand that I'm in such a lucky position she said a lot of people in a similar position have proven themselves over the years so I've just got to keep going and make good work yeah and that's it it's okay to say it's a bit shit to have your kind of credibility called into question yeah. by this but at the same time I accept that yes obviously I'm immensely privileged and I do have an advantage yeah. because of this yeah but some people can't do that like for example Lila Ma Oh uh, no, Lottie Moss. Lottie Moss. Yeah. Sorry. So Lila Moss is His daughter. Kate, is Kate Moss's Kate, daughter. Yeah. Lottie Moss is her half sister, and Lottie, she was on Made in Chelsea, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. She has been piggybacking off Kate Moss for some time now, yeah. and she says, "I'm so sick of people blaming nepotism for why they aren't rich and famous or successful. <laughs> Obviously, it's not fair that people who come from famous families are getting a leg up because of that. But get what? Guess what? Life isn't fair. If you put your mind to something, you can accomplish. Like okay, no, Kate Moss's sister. Okay, uh, Molly May. Uh, yeah. Everybody's got the same 24 oh hours God, in a day. Yes. Like, come on. What I have liked about Lottie is she's taken this 24 hours of news cycle to promote her OnlyFans. So. Mm. She- Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. She well, is. Yeah, she's, she's doing the work. Woman, yeah. She's doing the work. I just want to mention my first. I think the person who launched my my love of Nepo babies, Tori Spelling. Yes, <laughs> Tori sorry, Spelling. You're going to mention Eva Marie Martinez. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> she's more recent, but like back, you know, when I was in a, a, yes. a tween, yeah. uh, Tori Spelling was in Nine Hundred Two One Zero because yes. her father Aaron Spelling yeah, was a producer I mean, that is of ultimate. it. And people were like, "Why is this girl in this show?" Yeah, <laughs> she's the ultimate Epo baby. She is. And um, yeah, my, my but it all went dark for her. It did go dark. She didn't for get her. any money. No, she didn't. And now she has 700 kids. <gasps> I wish I was an Epo baby. Yeah, I wouldn't mind being an Epo baby either. I couldn't be further from an Epo baby. Yeah, I was thinking about this because I saw someone tweeting, like, what What would the thing, what, who in your family would be the reason that people would potentially call you an Epo baby? And I have two. Go on. I can't think of any. So my, my biological granddad, yeah. who I really had no relationship with, uh, used to work for RTE. Okay doing horse racing commentary I think okay. 
I think I have that right. And then that would be a stretch, I think, to say. I that mean, was a real stretch. Yeah. Like honestly, I think I had five conversations with the man of my whole life. And then um, the other one is my uncle used to work in radio. Um, he used to do a show late at night on FM 104. Okay. But he did, honestly, and I know people, Nepo babies say this in interviews, but he was like, don't do it. <laughs> he was like, it's the worst. Like he couldn't have been more discouraging. Like I genuinely cannot think of anything. Like maybe if I had, you know, followed my Ashling, the Ashling inside and gone into teaching, my mother was a, t- was a mm. junior infants teacher. So mm-hmm. maybe people would have been like, oh, well, she's only, she's only a hit in the education world because her mother was a teacher. <laughs> no, you were a self-made woman and self-made. I respect it. Now, Emer, we have been talking for half an hour. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a full 10 minutes over what we normally do. But, you know. Hey, it's Christmas, baby. Yeah. And, you know, I just feel like we needed to really delve into that Nepo baby conversation. I could talk. I do. I could do another hour. So could I, happily. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much. That's Emer McLeisett. You can read her columns in the Irish Times. They are absolutely brilliant every single week. The, uh, oh my God, what a complete ashing diary is out. So even if you didn't get it for Christmas, you can go and get it now. Am I right in thinking it has excerpts from Ashling's teenage diaries? It has Ash- excerpts from Ashling's teenage diaries, age thirteen to eighteen. Like, sorry, that's that alone. <laughs> Even if I didn't need a diary, that would sell it for me. Um, and then also, obviously, you have all the Ashling books, and there's a new one coming. We are currently writing. Oh my God, what a complete Ashling five. When is that out? Next autumn. Next autumn. Autumn. Yeah. So like in a, in nine months. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, that's exciting. <laughs> all right. Well, off you go. Thank and, you. And um, I will talk to you soon. just about time for me to go but thank you so much for choosing to be with me again this week I so appreciate it I can't overstate that enough um I don't have any recommendations I haven't had a minute to consume any kind of enjoyable media or music or anything but hopefully that'll change over Christmas um and I guess you know if you're listening to this before Christmas I hope you have a lovely Christmas if you're someone who's really into it I hope you relish every moment and have a great time with your family or your friends or whoever it is that you choose to celebrate with if you find Christmas tough for any you know wide range of reasons then take it easy on yourself you know mind yourself Go for a walk, arrange to meet a friend outside the local supermarket. You know, if you regress and start acting like a teenage brat the minute you walk into your parents' house, if that's what you do, then forgive yourself. If you're on your own for Christmas, try and put some nice little touches into the day. Um, You know, think about the things you really like that make things feel special for you. Maybe it's a nice cocktail. Maybe it's a special meal that isn't Christmas dinner. Maybe you decide to make yourself something completely different. Relish in the freedom of that. And um, as I said, one way or the other, this will pass and we'll be back to normal soon, complaining about everything else instead. Um, I will be back next week, as I said, with a special episode, myself and Aoife. Um, So that'll be out on the 30th as normal. And then we'll be back to normal in the first week of January. So there you go. Thank you again for everything that you've you've done to support me this year. I hope things go well for you. And thanks to ACAST for having me on the network and to all my brilliant, brilliant contributors. Take care. It took a while. It took a while.